internet friends, and welcome to Love, Hate, Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Boel. And I'm Alex Ruiz, and as ever, we are here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your lives in that order. And Andy, we are in, like, is this our new permanent setup? <laughs> God, I sure hope so. Yeah, we are We are still muddling through my uh, newish apartment. Um, we are sitting at my brand new dining room table, which is quite lovely and nice. Done something a little different with the microphones this time. I got my own mic and I don't even need to be miles away to use it. Exactly. We can be looking at each other without also having to like fight over the mic like we did last episode. So, uh, I mean, we'll see how this sounds, but I sure hope so that this is kind of the new permanent setup. It would be nice to have some permanence again. Uh... You want to talk about Omicron? Speaking of permanence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Andy, like, yeah, okay, so it's weird. Um, we're, we're recording this a couple days after Christmas. You yep. know, it's been a, a you know, I'll say it uh, for me. Um, and, Andy, you can speak to your own experience. It's been a rough holiday season for me. Um, you know, a you and I passed a lovely Christmas together. We, you know, y'all, y'all are now in town and... You didn't go back to Florida for Christmas. We didn't go back to Florida for Christmas. The world is a plague fire. And right. there's issues with, you know, vaccination numbers. And there's other issues with infection numbers. And Florida just hit a whole peak. And that's where both of our families live. And this one's supposed to be not nearly as bad if you get it. But also it is way more contagious. And we both have very, very, very young family members who are too young to be vaccinated. Yeah. And, uh, but your apartment's nice. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad my apartment's nice. I'm, I'm glad my apartment is not in the state that is currently winning the uh, to-date record of new cases of the entire pandemic, which that's, I mean, that's the more frustrating thing, I think, for me, is we are down the street, a few houses down from entering year three this is the second holiday in a row where this has been a concern. And on the day of recording, Joe Biden basically just said, this can't be solved on the federal level. It's a state's issue. I'm so angry. Yes. I'm so, you know, I've, I've been good. I've kept off Twitter like this whole last week, tried to like do some good holiday time. Only had like, what what, what was it, Andy? Two, two depressive episodes, three depressive episodes in the last three weeks. I, mean, I, I knew about two. So. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, shit. Yeah, no. I. You know, it's funny because New Year's Eve, which has already passed by the time y'all are hearing this, but New Year's uh, has traditionally been my favorite holiday. Mm. And and I think I've talked about this on the show. I'm not a New Year's resolution kind of guy. I'm not someone who really goes in for, you know, that kind of an angle. Christmas season is usually the only time where I let myself be, you know, a little more joyful, a little less pessimistic, and this year has not been that. And this New Year's, I mean, it'll 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 be it'll be fine. Like it'll be fine. And also, yeah, we're knocking down the third year of this kind of, frankly, this bullshit. And it's, I, I think I talked to you about this with the Omicron thing. There's, it's apparently a right wing talking point right now that. You know, this is going to be the last, like, thrust right. of COVID because this is how diseases go. Like, once you get to that 
variation that is more contagious but less lethal, then it's basically the flu. And some people were arguing it was basically the flu from the beginning. And it just kind of like I, I wonder how I'm going to talk about this period of time when I'm telling stories much, much later. And I'm just going to kind of sit here and go, no, I'm going to talk about how my fellow American was a piece of shit. See, no, you are more optimistic than you give yourself credit for because you assume that anyone's going to be around to tell stories to. <laughs> Uh, was it you who told me about that play where everyone just retells the Camp Fear Simpsons episode yep. from like three different periods in the post-apocalypse? Yeah, and the last act of the play is like 200 years in the future and they basically treat it like we treat Shakespeare. It's awesome. It's a good play. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, that's, that's what me telling stories about like people who won't wear masks in Ingalls are like yeah i mean god it's we've been talking about this now for over a year like on this show like more than uh what would be 52 more than 26 episodes of like this being a talking point more often than not i mean it's it's dumb and i hate it but i'm the last thing i'm about to do is stop doing everything i can to take preventative care and yelling at my local politicians on Twitter to take preventative action and care. And I mean, yeah, happy 2022 guys. Hopefully everything's not on fire yet. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Uh, look, you've got new politicians to yell at now. <laughs> this is true. Like if you want if you want the contact information for Madison Cawthorn and Tom Tillis, join me. <laughs> Yes. Also, I don't think I realized those were my elected officials, and neither of those sound like a real name. (laughs) Madison Cawthorn sounds like the female ingenue character of a Hallmark Christmas movie. And Tom Tillis sounds dead. (laughs) Indeed he does. Uh, Welcome to Love-Hate Relationship, everybody. Uh, First episode of 2022... Um, our format is simple. Uh, after a little bit of a douchebag buffer, um, we, Andy and I each have a topic. One of us discusses something we love, then we turn it over to the other one for something that we hate, and then, uh, you know, we turn to preferably you, our lovely audience, although often the internet, for a relationship question for us to give completely unqualified advice for. And you normally don't give that spiel, so I'm very proud of you for remembering exactly how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, So this week, I've got the love. And speaking of things that I have had a lot more of in the past couple of years since the pandemic started, uh, my love this week, dear boy, is on rum. Have we done an alcohol episode? No. All right. This is, you know, I would have expected this to come from me first, but, you know, it wouldn't have been about rum, so. (laughs) Well, sure, indeed. And so I want to start off by, uh, you know, encouraging anybody to uh, skip this section of the episode at the very least if uh, a this in-depth discussion of alcohol is at all uh, uncomfortable or, or triggering in any way. Certainly don't want to put anybody through that and future Andy is going to tell you where to skip to here. 3103. But with that said... You know, um, it's been a while since we've done an episode on a uh, consumable, a a thing you ingest uh, of any kind. Mm -hmm. And so 
I wanted to push everybody's New Year's resolutions to an early test and discuss what is personally my favorite form of like the uh, the hard liquors. I want to ask you, because I, I know we've talked about this like on and off over the course of our friendship. Rum is my drink, but I vaguely remember that it is not yours. Can you expound on that? You look way too excited. Uh, so way back in the, you know, mid 2000s, late 2000s, when I was, um, how shall we put this gently, uh, much more of a delinquent sure uh there was a house party that i attended and i remember this party it was a fun party you know i i did almost like get into a fight with the dude but um he was a piece of shit and i hope he's dead now john meredith fuck yourself <laughs> um but at the same party uh, by the way if any of you are afraid of uh vomit stories you should skip ahead a little bit as well i was at this house party and there i felt i felt in the mood for like a drink that i'd never had before and there was a bartender there and i'm pretty sure she wasn't actually a bartender i think she was just someone who like volunteered to mix drinks for this party sure um and i asked for a long island iced tea and she gave me a concoction that I, now I have since had good Long Island iced teas, and they're fine. They're not like my drink of choice, but like if they're on the menu or they're one of the like things in a punch bowl, I'm not going to be mad about it. I had a Long Island iced tea that had a truly horrifying amount of very cheap rum in it. Mm. And I think I drank one and a half of these. And I remember this distinctly. I was sitting on a boat dock because this was at a friend's place where, you know, they actually had a little bit of money. And I was sitting on a boat dock with a few people and just felt a gremlin growl in my lower belly. And I proceeded to empty the entire contents of my body into this lake. Sure. Okay. And all of it tasted like this very rummy Long Island iced tea. And for probably at least a decade after that, I did not touch rum. Mm -hmm. It was it was right there. Is that and fucking Jaeger were the two alcohols <laughs> that I was just like I cannot with these. And and you know what? Admittedly, with rum, I have softened since uh, I, I got over that at around that 10 year mark and i have now i'm now able to like have have some some drinks with rum in them i will admit i am not a sit and sip a glass of rum kind of person i'm never going to order a rum on the rocks mm. of any kind but i i don't mind you know i had a little coquito at at christmas time that has rum in it i've had a few drinks that just have rum as an ingredient and it's fine as long as i don't drink it to excess i am decently okay with rum but for a good 10 or 12 years just nah -uh. after that long island iced tea mixed by that terrible bartender just wasn't going to touch it you know what fair enough and i i can understand that i knew the jaeger story i don't think i had ever actually heard the rum story but i can completely understand i i have a very uh not so unfortunate experience with tequila in which I had a spicy margarita with chili powder instead of sugar on the rim, mm. and it proceeded to just burn a hole in my stomach. 
And I was, after that moment, very, very hesitant to ever get back into tequila. So I, I get it. Um, but yeah, I am a kind of, uh, I am the kind of person who will sit down and get a rum on the rocks and, and find a, find a good sipping rum. Uh, I'm looking at my bottle of it right now, as a matter of fact. So I wanted to talk about it because I just, I, I enjoy the thing, you know, and, and I just kind of always have, but before I get any farther, if for some reason you are listening to this dear listener and don't really know what rum is please message me because i'm fascinated and i want to meet you (laughs) but to cover a basis here's what i've got you know rum is one of the primary kinds of a distilled liquor that you can find in any bar in the world along with vodka whiskey tequila gin it's it's one of the genres of liquor Within the classification there, there are several subtypes of rum. Dark rum, gold rum, light rum, spiced rum, flavored rum, cheap rum, as you are familiar with. Yep. Um, And by and large, rum is known for being a slightly sweeter, slightly kind of less thick, if that makes sense, taste than other liquors. And that makes sense when you know that the the whole point of it is that rum is made from distilled molasses and sugar cane. Yep. So in the way that tequila is made from agave or whiskey is made from uh, I'm judging you right now. Beers, hops. I don't know what you make whiskey from. Corn, rye, and barley. There you go. Okay. I'm so disappointed. See, see that I can do this exact same episode, but it'd be about whiskey, and like I, I'm, I'm all over it. But like, exactly, uh, rum is the one that is basically made out of sugar, and that kind of lends itself to I think why I like it. Um, rum, as we know it, was created slash invented in 17th century Brazil. Um, but I, I do think this is kind of interesting. There, in researching this, I found out that very, very similar drinks to what we know as rum, were also tracked to places like Malaysia and Cyprus going all the way back to 7 AD. So, yeah, and it's just... Okay, so let me ask you a question here. Um, and I say this specifically just because I'm Colombian. Um, are you familiar with a drink called Aguardiente? Other than I think I've heard you mention it a couple of times, no. All right, so this is like the premier liquor in Colombia. There's a couple of variations from it. The most well-known is is called Antioqueño. But Aguardiente, or uh, water with teeth, as it technically translates to, Hell yeah. is also made from sugarcane. And I really, I, I guess it must be the molasses that makes it, that di- the, makes the difference between, like, Aguardiente, which tastes very almost minty to a certain degree like it's potent it's strong um it does hit but it does have a sweetness to it versus most rums which i'll be honest i don't have much experience with like clear rum Mm. most of the rums i've had have been that like dark ass rum and i'm sitting here going okay how do you get how, how do these two have so much in common and i guess the molasses must be the real difference there but Agua de diente is, you know, you, you chase it with a little bit of water. You generally have it in shot form. And it just, it, it has this almost like, I think it's a slightly minty taste to it. Hmm. Um, but I have, I, I mean, I've handed it to people who handle their liquor well. 
and it just maybe it's because it has such a high sugar content the hangover from it just destroys them it's a thing you have to be very used to drinking sure sure absolutely yeah i don't know because i mean like with with a couple of different liquors um you know you can create the beverage in a slightly different way and i think it boils down to how much other stuff are you putting into it and that's where you can get like a white rum or a mm. silver tequila or a spiced rum mm. or a gold tequila sure so hearing that but at no point did you ever say that like people call aguardiente a like cousin of rum so yeah it must Not be i've never heard yeah really no yeah, yeah. i mean granted it's it's colombia it's 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 a country that the equator goes directly through it is very much like what my associations with rum are very caribbean mm -hmm. and that makes sense that's where your sugarcane plantations are you can't really grow sugarcane in canada right it, it doesn't work yeah but you know that whole that whole region you know your sugarcane alcohols are very very prominent yeah I wonder why I've never heard it just put in the same discussion as because Colombians also like their rum. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> South Americans like their rum. I mean, yeah. I mean, just I never knew that it was technically like formed in Brazil. Um, you know, but it's it's certainly famous as like the liquor of the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. um, not to skip ahead, but like whole lot of pirates and slave traders made their life on this shit. Oh, yeah. No, like, rum runners were a thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just because just now I'm curious now. I've, I've looked up Aguardiente, um, and I'm just trying to see if there's anything. The only the only mention is that it, it definitely is a drink where people are like, yeah, this is kind of like rum, but it's not... Well, okay, so rum is always something I've seen mixed with stuff. When I saw you drinking straight rum out of glass with some ice cubes, I was like, people do that who aren't, like, in a Hemingway novel? <laughs> like, it was, it was, it's not something I'm used to. I'm used to rum being an alcohol in a mixed drink. Sure. And there, and there are tons of mixed drinks with rum in them. I, I, I had one my own self that put me off of it, but... That that notion of just like a sipping rum that surprises me. Most of the rums, and, and maybe this is just a U.S. thing. Most of the rums I know, they're just you know shit you just mix into your mai tais or or your pina coladas or your coquitos. Well, yeah, and so I'm going to put a pin in that real quick because I, I can talk a lot more about that once I get into why I love rum. But just to wrap up the history lesson a little bit, it, it was found in Malaysia and, and people, the Malay, apparently the Malay people gave it to Marco Polo and called it sweet wine. Mm. Um, it was created in Cyprus, specifically out of sugarcane. So there you go. But rum, as we think of it, was formed in Brazil. And like I said, it, it very quickly and predominantly was produced in and associated with the Caribbean, where it was originally called rum bullion or kill devil, which I think that one's great. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of calling shit fire water or water with teeth. Water with teeth. Or kill devil. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm not about it. And, and that's part of the thing is the, the mystique of the liquor. Um, and if, if you want to romanticize something in the way that I'm about to, 
you can do it with just about any kind of liquor. But I've always been a kind of kid who thinks pirates are cool. And so knowing that it's the pirate drink as opposed to like whiskey is the cowboy drink or vodka is the Russian drink. <laughs> the three genders, pirate, <laughs> cowboy, and Russian. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. No. I, okay. So I, I hear this and it's interesting that you would jump straight to pirates because, uh, all right, this, I, I don't think I've ever made a secret of this. I hate the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Mm. I think they're bad. I think every single one of them I've ever seen is bad. And I've seen, I think the first three, maybe I didn't, I, maybe I didn't watch the third one all the way through. I might've regal watched that when I, when I worked at a movie theater, but um, you're missing the scene where uh, a pirate captain marries two other pirates while the three of them are all having a like outrageous sore fight with a bunch of the sea monster people. So these movies are stupid as fuck, um, <laughs> and I don't really like them. Whenever I think of a, of like a rum drink, like honestly, my first association is always that like weird little James Cagney-ish, like I'm gonna have a rum and coke at the bar while I talk to some dame kind of deal. Like that's where my head immediately goes for like a rum drink. Other than again, you're I'm sitting I'm, I'm sitting on a beach having a pina colada and. Frankly, that's more fruit juice than alcohol anyway. Well, right. And, and saying that rum is the pirate drink is a, is a little bit reductive and a little bit over, overly simplistic. I'm going to stand by it because if we wanted to talk about one of the bad things about rum, again, whole lot of slavery. Yeah. Whole lot of death. Yeah. But we're not talking about the bad. <laughs> Let's not look into the history too much. I mean, you, you could also say that rum is like the... Uh, the, the revolutionary liquor and have a Cuba Libre. You know, a, here's the thing. A rum and Coke as a cocktail probably has more genocide behind it than any other cocktail because between rum and Coke. You know, or like a banana daiquiri if you're going with. Uh... I hate you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like, like it's a little childish, it's a little silly, but if you've listened to the show, you know that uh, we can be childish and silly. Like, rum is the pirate drink. I always had a lot of romanticism behind that. I I definitely, like, picture the idea of sitting in a crow's nest drinking rum and that being, like, what gets me through the horrible, awful life that was 16th century naval living. Um, and, and I think there's something to that there. But seriously, to move on, another reason that I like it is I have never had that awful rum drink. Mm. I have never had that shitty Long Island iced tea in the same way that I have that horrendous other drinks. You know, I, I mentioned the uh, the spicy tequila that didn't agree with me. Sure. I can think back to having several gin and sprites at a, a friend of ours, Brandon Godier, mm. who was like the kid whose dad didn't live with him and so he could get booze. Yeah. So you go to Brandon's and you're drinking whatever god-awful shit Brandon's making. I drink a lot of gin at Brandon's. Yeah. Whiskey, vodka, I, you know, I've had good and bad experiences. Rum has been the last liquor standing that has never hurt me <laughs> in that same way. I, I didn't drink a pint glass full of rum. I drank a pint glass full of vodka that one time, and that ended exactly like you'd expect. Yeah, like when I had that pint glass full of Jaeger. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Whether I'm, uh, you know, sipping a light rum or even back in my college days when the thing to do was just shoot black Kraken 
and pretend that it didn't taste just fucking awful. I would say you disgust me for that, but I used to do tequila pyramids. So. Exactly. Um, it, it, it has treated me well. Yes. And I, I appreciate it for that. You know, I think admittedly at this stage in my life right now, I'm on a little bit of a rum kick. Sure. And I'm I'm getting into the the rums that you can just pour into a glass with some ice cubes and and treat it like it's a good sipping whiskey or a good silver tequila or something. I mean, I will admit, uh, what's this, what's that fancy shit called? Diplomatico. Yes, yeah, so that is uh, Diplomatico Reserva. All right, so uh, shout out to Michael Vetterick, uh, mm-hmm. who who got you a bottle of that as uh, as a parting gift and. That shit is the only rum that I've ever been able to put in a glass and just sip. Yeah. Now, granted, I'm still I, I'm I'm going to reach for my you know cheap Irish or my expensive Scotch before I'll reach for most rum still, including that one. But you know, you poured me a glass of that with a couple of ice cubes, and I'm sitting here going like, God damn! All right, if I had money, this, yeah. I, I might I might do this shit. It, and I, that's the thing. I think if I have a, an exorbitant amount of money, I'm going to get like a good scotch mm-hmm. or a bourbon. But like, this is going to be something specifically this kind of rum that probably sits on my liquor cart for the next fifty years because it is just a good quality Venezuelan liquor. Apparently. Yeah, no. All right. I'm here for it. Um, So the final point I want to talk about is uh, going back to what we were mentioning earlier. I think that rum is maybe the most versatile liquor. And what I mean by that is there are just so many options of what you can make. You can pour in a bunch of fruit juice and a little bit of whipped cream and throw a maraschino cherry and a pineapple on a spear on it and create a pina colada or a Mai Tai. You know, you can you can kind of go for something that's a little less bachelorette party and make a dark and stormy and pour in a shit ton of ginger beer or have a mojito. Um, you or you can create like kind of a a sleep aid and make yourself a hot toddy or throw it in your ice cream or make coquito. Mm. And I was kind of sitting here being like. Okay, you can kind of get away with that with vodka. I was gonna say, I, I like if you if you were to just ask me, apropos of nothing, what I would think is the most versatile liquor, I'd probably say vodka. Because yeah. you know you, you can make a screwdriver. Um, you can make a white Russian. You can make a white Russian. Like you can you can make your sweet drinks. You can make your strong drinks. You can do shots of it. Yeah. Um, admittedly, I've never really been a shot of rum person for, and I've never seen that many people doing shots of rum the way I've seen shots of vodka. Um, if you are Russian, you can just have a glass of warm vodka. Yep. That is a thing that they do. Oh yeah. As a people. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I'm I am here for this argument because you are right that rum is, it is interesting because. I can't think of that many things that can be enjoyed by a, you know, underage high school, college kids spring yep. break in it. Yep. Um, because, you know, it's it was the bottle they could fit in their long sleeve coat at the liquor store versus a drink that like old dudes and fucking Cuba Vera shirts well, it would sit and drink while they're, you know, fucking playing dominoes. Exactly. There aren't many drinks that I feel are at this, like, really fine cross-section between 
like just and, and and at multiple income levels, multiple demographics, multiple races. Um, you know, I, mean, I don't hate it. Yeah, this, this day and age, you can find a variation of of anything. You can go get apple whiskey, or you can Disgusting. get well, indeed, but you can it's get good. it, um, or you can get any of the different like bubble gum, birthday cake, peppermint, vodkas, or or whatever. But just in the idea of taking a non flavored version of the liquor you can create so much and and maybe that's because at the end of the day it is like we took sugar juice and we turned it into booze maybe that speaks to the utility in the same way i mean talking about vodka basically hey we took potato juice and we made it hard <laughs> hard like russian winter exactly um, so maybe maybe there's something there but i'm i'm going to put it as like just a a mark in its favor anyway that push comes to shove you can make more drinks that more people have heard of and aren't some random concoction a bartender made one time you can make more drinks out of rum than you can out of whiskey or out of gin and now i'm really curious and i'm probably going to tally up vodka and I'll, I'll let twitter know or something all right i'm here for it the one thing that uh and this can be my final point on this before you close out when i think of rum Probably the first thing I think of is, do you remember, and just because we have to throw Simpsons references into this show. Of course. Do you remember the Treehouse of Horror where Homer gets abducted by Kane and Kronos? Um, the the 96 election one. Yes. And they're sending Homer Simpson back to Earth. And before they send him back, they spray him. And he's like, what are you spraying me with? And they go, rum, so that no one will believe your story. <laughs> And then he gets down on Earth. He's trying to tell everybody, like, I was abducted by aliens and they're going to kidnap the president and Bob Dole and, and impersonate them. And Bart just goes, yeah, right, Rummy. <laughs> Thank you for a Simpsons reference, as is our custom yes. on this show. Yes, indeed. <laughs> no, I enjoy that. And dear listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, I, there's maybe a reason we haven't talked about a liquor um, and in researching that, I kind of brushed up against that because, again, you know, there's there, there's the uh, double-edged sword of talking about alcohol in a medium where you don't know who that might be a point of struggle for people. Again, cannot emphasize it enough. Lot of genocide. <laughs> so much. So many dead Caribbean native islanders in the name of this drink on my shelf here. Yeah. There might still be some slave labor involved with it, too, but, uh, like, we're not going to think about that too hard. We're just going to go, all right, it's tasty. Well, the only thing is I can sit here and go, I mean, any any uh, any liquor or tobacco or cotton or, or – and that doesn't make it better necessarily, but that kind of raises the awfulness of everything else to the point where you go, ah, better not to think about it. Yeah, no. Like, I'm wearing a polyester shirt right now. That's less slave labor, more climate changey. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> what we're going to do is move on to our next segment. Uh, yes. And for this, we, we go from, you know, a lovely way to pass an afternoon, just sipping a fine rum, to uh, a lovely way to destroy your family gathering with uh, arguments. Over a glass of rum. Over a glass of rum, yes. So, uh interesting opener for you dear boy because i don't think it's something that we've ever really talked about my topic is capital punishment mm -hmm. 
What has been your relationship to capital punishment throughout your life? Was it something that was ever part of your political education or was it something you just was kind of there for you in movies and books and TV um, the way it very much was for me in childhood? Like be as broad or as narrow as you'd like. Yeah. So, I mean, the very first thing this makes me think about is how it was a major point in my young childhood where if I got caught by my grandmother, by my mother's mother doing something wrong, I would get spanked. Okay. If I got caught by any other adult in my family, I was probably just getting like a stern talking to and getting grounded and getting my shit taken away. You know I'm talking about capital punishment, not corporal punishment, right? Corporal punishment is spanking. Capital punishment is the death penalty. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking like, oh my God, did your grandmother threaten that she was going to put you in the electric chair? All right. All right. I, I see my mistake here now. <laughs> Uh, do you want to take a take two of that, or are we leaving that in? No, that's funny as hell. <laughs> I'm just sitting here picturing Andy's grandmother, just like, just like she sees, she catches him doing some shit, and he just holds up an executioner's mask, just pulls out a knife and points it at me, and then puts it away. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. All right. Uh, well. I can do another segment on corporal punishment later, but okay. Well, then, with that said. My only real um, relationship with capital punishment has been the idea that I saw the Green Mile when I was like 10. That's not the best age for the Green Mile, but not no. the worst. No, that's not the best age for I thought the mask was supposed to be dry to get burned into my brain. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I, see, I was so getting ready to talk about how, like, my dad watched a lot of 24, and, and so he thought, like, torture was okay under specific circumstances. Um, really, just like, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was anecdotal. It was a thing of, like, you'd watch a movie with an execution sequence in it. Sure. You'd watch a movie where uh, a French nobleman tells his son how awful it is to be executed and then turns out two weeks later it's the french Revo french revolution so not an overwhelming amount of capital punishment related content in okay. my in my life sure like if i'm gonna think about like i read to kill a mockingbird i've seen a time to kill like i used to watch law and order svu with sure. my sister like that was some shit um Okay, no, I appreciate that. And and I find it interesting because it is it is a topic that is it is one of the it is maybe the least prominent tent pole topic in American politics. It's something that just about everybody has a moderately like defined opinion on at the very mm -hmm. least, and a handful of people have very strong opinions about. You know what? I saw The Exonerated in high school. That's about all I got. Never heard of it. Okay. Um, just to get, I appreciate your answer there. Um, just to give some basic background on this. So capital punishment can be defined very simply as the state-sanctioned practice of killing a person as punishment for a crime. Historically speaking, it's maybe about as old as organized civilization, and certainly the oldest historical records we have um, have explicit and implicit indications of its use. It is 
talked about. Um, just for context, until the 19th century and um, the advent of an organized prison system throughout the established nations, depending on where you live, there might not have been a knowable alternative to killing people as a punishment for some crimes. Uh, in a few rare places, notably ancient Rome and the Tang Dynasty of China, the death penalty was largely or completely abolished, though. However, those are very short, very rare exceptions. Just about everywhere had the death penalty until pretty recently in human civilization. Well, and you bring up ancient Rome, and that makes me wonder if they skirted around the technicality of, we don't have the death penalty, we'll throw you in the gladiator pit, and then your fate is in the hands of Jupiter. Uh, depending on the era, yeah. Yeah. I mean, kind of. <laughs> you might die, you might become our new celebrity. Who yeah. knows? Who's to say what happens? Or you just end up in the army. Yeah, true. Yeah. We who are about to die salute you. Um, so in contemporary times, 54 countries, including China, India, the U.S., Indonesia, Pakistan, Nigeria, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Japan, fully utilize capital punishment. 107 countries have completely abolished it. Seven have effectively abolished it, but do maintain it on the books for exceptional cases like war crimes. And 27 have not banned it completely, but haven't actually executed anyone in over a decade and have a practice of not actually carrying out the executions, even if someone has been technically sentenced to death. Mm. Um, the most common crimes carrying uh, death sentences are, of course, murder, rape, war crimes, terrorism, and treason, though there are nations that absolutely carry it for acts ranging from bestiality and kidnapping to homosexuality and drug-related offenses. Yeah, and oh my god, okay, so I completely, like, didn't even think about this, but, you know, the probably most recent widespread everybody remembers this moment uh utilization of capital punishment in our living memory was the execution of saddam hussein you know technically speaking yeah you could make an argument for osama bin laden as well but that was more of a combat situation yeah see that was extrajudicial that was that you know that was a military based execution right and I, i'm sitting here now just totally thinking about what a big deal it was that like we held Saddam Hussein in prison for a couple of years and then it was like okay we have found you guilty of this and you are going to be hung until dead and a couple of US Marines are going to take cell phone pictures and get in a whole lot of trouble about it because um, I was so ready to get here and say it's interesting war crimes is on the list because you know the saying if you kill one man you go to jail if you kill 10 men you get executed if you kill a hundred or more men you get studied for the rest of your life and was going to go in this whole thing of like oh well you know Idiomen died under house arrest and and Pol Pot was they just kind of looked at him through the window of his house for the rest of his life and then it was like oh wait no we absolutely practice capital punishment on Saddam well Gaddafi we just gave to the mobs yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely like that's not technically an execution that's just okay let's give you to the people who you have <laughs> pissed off more than anything else right and now that we've talked about a lot of horrible horrible people um who 
You know what? Let's. I'm going to let you finish your point before I, I talk about whether or not they deserve to die. You no, know, you know what? I am. I, I am here. If you if you are ultimately pro death penalty, I am here for that argument. There are certainly people I love who are. So, basic points as to why I hate it, and you know, there some of this will be you know less surprising to people than others. But there's been a long and storied history of people declaiming the death penalty for valid reasons. They call it torturous, they call it inhumane, they call it cruel in all cases. Mm -hmm. I agree with those things. You know, famously, um, in the election with um, George H.W. Bush and Michael Dukakis, Dukakis lost that election for a few reasons. But one pointed PR moment was when in a debate he was asked that if something were to happen to his wife, if he would want the person who perpetrated that crime to be executed. Mm. And Dukakis, who is very anti-death penalty, was like, no. And he he fumbled that response in a couple of ways. And there are some people who would hear him say no in that situation, and no matter how he had handled that, if he hadn't fumbled it, would have absolutely decided that Michael Dukakis was a sniveling little twerp. Sure. And that's just kind of how it is in the U.S. Uh, Ron White used to have a bit about how he's from Texas, and in the text panel, in Texas they have the death penalty, and they use it. Yeah. Uh, for things that are debatably not a crime. So, more recently, there have been more new... Uh, just honestly, I agree with all of those observations about the death penalty. There have more recently been nuanced conversations concerning points like issues with the criminal justice system. We're all aware that it unfairly convicts poor people of color at a rate ridiculously higher than it does whites and affluent people. And even when those rich white men get convicted, there's a second disparity in the sentencing. You get the, you know, you get handsome Ted Bundy who gets this particular kind of sentence, and then you get a poor black kid in Texas with mental handicaps who just gets right to the front of the line for the execution. Yeah. And there's the famous CSI effect where jurors who are convinced that court cases should work more or less the way that they do in movies and TV they tend to misunderstand their purpose in that room and fuck up constantly. Like, constantly. I used to teach about this in a, in a writing class. I used to teach an essay about the CSI effect. And very particularly, there are jurors who think that they are there to convict. Mm -hmm. And there are jurors who think, who don't understand the concept of, I'm on a trial for a capital offense. If there is even the remotest bit of reasonable doubt as to the guilt of this individual, I should not convict. Not even do I think that they probably did it, but maybe they did. If you think maybe there's a possibility that they didn't, then you should not be convicting. That is supposed to be on a prosecutor to not even go for that capital offense charge if they don't think it can be done. And frankly, a lot of the time, they'll go for the capital offense charge just because they know this is a poor person of color. And I live in rural Alabama or Texas. Yeah. If, and, and then even beyond that, there's good old getting it wrong. The Innocence Project, uh, which has gotten some fairly good press of late, um, estimates that between 1 and 10% of all prisoners 
uh, regardless of charge, are actually innocent. And they've gotten over 300 convictions overturned based on DNA evidence that was not available at the time of the trial. And this is the part where I you, you mentioned you've never heard of the exonerated. The exonerated actually is actually something very topical to that specific statement, and I think you would enjoy because it it's it's a play that they turned into a, a TV movie, and it is specifically the testimonials, the real world testimonials of people who were wrongfully commit wrongfully convicted of death row level crimes, and then were also later exonerated before they were actually executed yeah. for those crimes. Yeah. And anytime you read an Innocence Project story, you know, you'll get people who've been on death row for two decades and they get released back out. And let's be clear, if you are on death row, your experience of prison is different than someone who's in, say, a state prison on a... Uh, possession charge for heroin like neither of those people are having good experiences neither both of those people have a pretty decent chance they might have been wrongfully convicted but the you get released after two decades of that into into the world and yes that person has their freedom back but they lost two decades of their life and if you had actually killed them like they have also done exonerations for people who have already been killed who have already been executed. And that is the state taking a life and they can't give that back. Yeah. My main reason for my hatred of the death penalty, and again, if you've been listening to more than maybe uh, four or five episodes of this podcast, it comes back to state authority. Remember that my definition at the beginning of this was the state-sanctioned killing of a person as punishment for a crime. And when we as citizens support any instance in which the state is allowed to kill, we give the state incentive to destroy a member of its populace. It has that power, it has the incentive to use it. And this should be terrifying to everyone. I've talked on this podcast more than once about how safety versus freedom in a society is, is this spectrum. One can be very safe and not free, or very free and absolutely unsafe. And society is a constant balancing act between the two. With capital punishment, you actually have neither. Life is the crux for both freedom and safety. And allowing an astonishingly fallible societal system to end it is the ultimate acquiescence of both. We have a horrible criminal justice system. Yeah. It is it is trash. I do not want the system that I don't trust to properly handle the red light cameras. A judicial a a, a, a police system that was literally born out of the slave catching organizations and an entire system where if you're going, if, if you're poor, you're probably going with the public defender. And if you're going with the public defender, statistically speaking, you probably get 15 minutes a day of that public defender's time because that person is so overloaded with cases yeah. very similarly to yours. And that this system looks at that and goes, yeah, yeah, I'm good with that. 
I do not want that system to have power over death. The thing that I have heard uh, brought up as a defense of capital punishment not even the idea that there are just some people who are unsalvageable there's there's no ability for redemption not even that the thing that i have heard more than anything else is the argument of overpopulation are which you, is are you fucking me <laughs> I'm, I'm not i'm not fucking with you go on <laughs> And it's it's a it is a argument that in order to make you have to turn off empathy centers in your brain or at the very least twist them up into knots, but you know we we've watched the thirteenth together the the documentary yeah. about how just completely fucked up the American uh, jail system is. Yes, um, you know overpopulation in prisons has been a hot button issue for what sixty years. Um, actually, roughly since about the Reagan administration privatizing the jails. Yeah, exactly. And so I have heard people say that with a broader use of capital punishment, you could effectively combat the overpopulation of uh, jails and the criminal justice system in that way, which is pretty fucked up because you're saying, nah, nah, there, there aren't people that we can like not put in jail for petty crimes or rehabilitate. But what we can do is kill the really bad people. Eye for an eye, motherfucker. You kill somebody, I kill you. That's how it should work, right? And that's horrid. That's horrible. It's the worst fucking thing I've ever heard, Andrew. That's what why the hell? I'm making very clear to make it make it clear that this is not my defense. This is just the defense I have heard. I just okay. So here, here's my thing. I hear that notion, and that straight up sounds planted. That sounds like something that a prison lobbyist just straight up is like, all right, let's see this. Sure. Let's get the right, uh, let's get the strategically placed among certain political commentators. Let's get a few people to write books about this where this idea is floated. Just because capital punishment is an industry. The prison complex is an industry. The amount of money that people make off of those industries is indiscriminate and horrifying. Yeah. And it's, the argument that I've always heard is that if you get rid of the death penalty, people are not going to have, um, there, there, there's going to be uh, no more fear about committing capital crimes. That like, right. if people aren't afraid that the state is going to kill them, then they're just gonna feel like they can, you know, commit these offenses with impunity. And that is the stupidest argument I've ever heard. Yeah. Someone I love dearly once told me that he thought that we should have incredible, much more strict drug crime offenses to stop people from doing drugs. And I'm like, you're an idiot who does not understand why people do drugs. Well, and this gets the, the first thing I thought of is you already have a uh, percentage of the population that will do this anyway. And then, I don't know, cross state lines to shoot protesters and wind up guest starring at CPAC. 
for it, instance. For instance. And that's and and that is a point right there. The fact of the matter is the things that cause people to commit capital offenses by and large have nothing to do with fear or lack of fear of state-sponsored consequence. They have to do with things like economic situations. They have to do with things like your population-based mental health. They have to do with things like a culture that minimizes the value of humanity. Like, I... Okay, it's funny because the... If you don't... Like, I can sit here and say, all right, we have... I can point to countries that have abolished the death penalty and I can sit there and say like all of their instances of those capital offenses have either stayed exactly the same or gone down since those things have come through. And people will say like, why would they go? Why would they go down? What is it about abolishing the death penalty that causes your rates of rapes and murders to go down? And I say, it is not that it is not specifically the abolishing of the death penalty that causes those numbers to go down. It's the fact that a society that puts value in the idea of human life and does something like abolishing the death penalty is also more likely to do things like fund social programs, like give free medical access, include mental health services in that, and address some of the things that cause people to get to that particular point. And it's 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 not direct. It's not a direct one-to-one, but it does there is straight up just this idea that if the state's focus is not on how many people can we imprison, let's make these particular drugs illegal, let's make these particular crimes illegal. Let even though our constitution says that debtors prisons shouldn't be a thing. <laughs> What the fuck happens if you don't pay certain fees? Yeah. Or if you don't pay certain taxes, or if you don't pay certain fines that you incur? Because you can absolutely still be thrown in jail for 30 days on unpaid parking tickets. But we don't have debtors' prisons. Like, it's, it is a foundational misunder... And your example, Andy, the we need to just execute the worst offenders so that we can take care of overpopulation in prisons, I'm sitting here going like, are you not think you're not thinking, or you are deliberately obfuscating, that's why I think it's a lobbying angle, hmm. why you're overpopulated in the first place. You're overpopulated because of over-policing. Sure, oh sure. And, and because of the arrest of minor offenses. That at worst, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do this, make it fucking community service and go fuck yourself. When I pull the switch, these powerful electromagnets will tear you limb from limb, killing you in the most humane possible manner. But, Mr. Mayor, that doesn't sound humane! It is for the witnesses, because it's not boring! I think it's Sweden. It's Sweden or Norway or one of the one of the Scandinavian countries where, like, a officer of the law has not fired a gun in, like, 20 years or something in the entire country. 
that sounds like a Scandinavian country. Yeah, and and honestly, that's the best solution I can I can come up with because this is just such a over encompassingly messy and hard issue. Is like, eh, hey, move to Sweden. Yeah, I mean, it's I've heard arguments where like, okay, the death penalty is ext- I, I didn't even put this in my notes, but the death penalty is extremely expensive. Frankly, sure. because the, the amount of appeals process we need to do, you spend more money on, you know, the process of a death row inmate, on the processing, on the appeals process, on the legal fees, on the fucking drugs to kill them, which they have a shortage of. Yeah. That you um, you end up spending more on a death row inmate than you do on, you know, a child in one of the wealthiest school districts in America. And people say, well, why do you have them have all of those appeals and everything? Why are you taking such good care of someone who's on the death penalty? And it's like, because they're probably innocent, deserve an appeals process, due process is a thing, and it's not even carried out well. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> You're, if you're, you want to defend this system as working, but you won't even accept the parts of it that are actually, like, even approaching humane. Right. And that's the point. We want to say that if, if a jury stamps somebody as guilty, they're no longer a person. We don't give felons the right to vote, even when they've served their time. It's a foundational problem here where we just want to believe that there are bad people in the world, just like there are in our movies. That they are beyond redemption, so why bother? Just kill them. And, you know, that's not people. No. That's not humanity. And that's not how a society, the point of a society is to make life better for people. And if that means that a, and if that means that Michael Dukakis was right when he said he wouldn't want the someone who did something terrible to his wife to be sentenced to death. Guess what? Not for the first time, Michael Dukakis was right. I'll 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 make this my final word. I I have been thinking this entire segment about um, an episode of the Boondocks that we have referenced several times on this show. The theoretical return of Martin Luther King (laughs) and the idea that his take on 9-11 would have been, well, as a Christian, I turned the other cheek. And how had Martin Luther King actually been around to say that shit, this country would have eviscerated him. Yeah. God damn it, Andy. (laughs) How do you put how do you put such a good button on my topic? You put a great one on mine. I'm just getting you back for it. Uh yeah. I mean it's at a certain point a nation needs to take a long dark look at itself in a mirror and decide what values it wants to uphold. This country proudly defends its death penalty. Democrats proudly defend the death penalty in some in some cases. And we should not forgive them for that. No. Not unless they come to the table and ask for it and make a change on that. So that is my hate. Andy, shall we move on to quite the question? Yeah, this is going to be like going down the highway and then gear shifting directly into reverse. Yeah. So get ready for some whiplash. Right. So I read the uh, format. Do you want to do the question? I will do the question. I'd love to. 
My roommate walked in on me rimming my boyfriend this morning, and I don't know what to say. For any of you who are curious, we are talking about analingus. Yep. My roommate and I have been living together for about six months now, and she's one of my really good friends. We both have boyfriends and have always kept sex and stuff to our rooms and keep to ourselves. I recently started eating my boyfriend's ass after he apparently read a post on Reddit about girls doing it, so he asked. It has never ever been something I would even consider doing or would ever want to know anyone I've done it. But seeing how much he enjoyed it, I've actually found I enjoy doing it. It's not so bad as long as he cleans up first. Uh, last night we were watching a movie on the couch, my boyfriend and I. It was late, my roommate had to have been sleeping, and I hadn't seen her for a couple of hours. After the movie, my boyfriend started to rub me, and one thing led to another. I got off and was done, so he asked if I felt like rimming him. And I, I said, sure. And after a little bit, I needed a better angle. So I got on the floor, and he bent over the couch. Both completely naked, no blanket, and we were into it when I hear a whisper, oh my god, on our couch, and my roommate's door slammed. There was no hiding it. It was clear as day what I was doing. My boyfriend was jacking himself off, and I had both hands on his ass, spreading it and all up in there. I'm embarrassed I was even caught doing such a thing, and I feel even worse we were doing it on the couch. My roommate slept out tonight, and I haven't talked to her since. Any thoughts on going about this? Thanks. Okay, so we need a name. We do need a name. Now, I, I know for a fact you have not started this series, but I recently started watching Dave, which is the little Dicky Hulu show. Okay. And this quite literally is a scenario out of Lil Dicky's show, Dave. Okay. So I propose that we have Dave and the question asker is his girlfriend, Allie. Allie, A-L-L-Y? Yes. Allie from Dave. Okay. Okay, cool. That's a stand-up boner. I love you. I love you. I love it. Great. Good night. I'll take it, because I, I, I don't necessarily know who I, I'm sitting here just like, is there a Letterkenny reference here? Like, is one of them Squirrely Dan? Because I know he talked about, like, getting his, fi his uh, asshole fingered. Indeed. But uh, I'm I'm good with Dave. We do need to put Letterkenny in this at some point. Oh, absolutely. Season 10 just dropped on uh, Christmas Day, everybody, so get on it. Oh, dear. Uh, okay, sweet. So... We have Allie, we have Dave, and who's the roommate? The roommate in this situation, uh, a classic thing of gender bending, the roommate would be Mike. So I will start here. Go right ahead. Allie, um, where to start? You start with an apology for the space. Um, I've... I've spent a brief amount of time in a shared living space with roommates and I'm I'm just gonna say it it is quite incourteous to do a thing like that on y'all's couch without first clearing it by your roommate it um, you know that's that's just not being a good roommate to be fair to, or to be clear, there is no judgment whatsoever on you eating your boyfriend's asshole. That is, you know what, y'all, 
and joy. I am glad that he finds, uh, I'm glad that Dave finds, you know, joy from this. I'm glad that you found enjoyment from it, that y'all are exploring uh, just a really, really great and wonderful thing. Um, I feel like intimate moments in communal spaces is a conversation that just any roommate should have. Um, I'm, I'm realizing this because, you know, and Andy, you lived with me for a month and we never talked about that at all. So, oh, no, we absolutely did. We did? Yeah, I was waiting into my part, but we <laughs> absolutely had a conversation about, like, shared living space and the potential of any hanky-panky getting on in there. Oh, God, I just remembered because you said the word hanky-panky. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, here's the point. Good roommates will have a conversation first. And it could be that some people are like, no, that just makes me really uncomfortable. I don't want anything like that to happen. I, I sit there as well. And, and that idea really squeezes me out. It could be they're like, I don't care. You want to use my bed? As long as I'm not at home, like, have fun. Like, you should have had that conversation first. And in absence of that conversation, y'all should have just moved to the fucking bedroom. Yeah. When you decided you were going to do this. So you fucked up, Allie. And you owe Michael an apology. You owe Michael a promise that you're not going to do anything like that again if that's what they require. Um, yeah, I mean, it's that is what you do. Like you said, and if I know that I know that Michael slept out and you're, you know, you haven't seen you haven't seen him. You you should probably text him or you know send him some kind of message or you know barring that wait he's going to come back for his stuff at some point. Um, if your roommate decides to move out because of this, um, not knowing any of Michael's past, maybe there is some kind of traumatic situation where uh, that kind walking into that is an extremely affecting thing and Michael cannot deal with being there anymore. That is Michael's thing. If Michael doesn't have anything like that and it's just like, ew, you're gross, I hate you, bye, then your roommate was immature and you shouldn't deal with them anyway. Um, but when you talk to Michael, you should apologize. You should own up to it. If they say that they are just not okay with that kind of thing happening, you should respect that. And you just need to do your mea culpa here. Like, it is the right thing to do. You fucked up. That was really terrible roommate thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. And Alex, you, know, you said a lot of points that I um, was also thinking... Um, there's no context in the question on ages. We don't know if these are a pair of college sophomores in their, you know, first roommate living situation. We don't know if uh, this is a quartet of 30 year olds who all just happen to live together. We, we, we don't know ages. And, and I bring that up because not knowing age, we don't know the potential level of roommate experience that people have. That said, I completely agree. Allie fucked up. Dave fucked up. Yeah. Beyond the um, non-disclosure and the ambiguity on a shared living space, there's also the thing to consider of having somebody walk in and seeing a sexual act that they did not consent to seeing. And that is in their own home, in their own home when there was no, when there was no expectation that walking out of their bedroom at that moment 
would lead to that because again it was supposed to be it was in what is supposed to be the safe communal space so i don't think that can be understated enough honestly i i think yeah you you try to reach out you make sure you lead with an apology and this goes into turning into a conversation setting those boundaries if it so happens that that conversation has not been had you know it, it you, you still were shitty and did bad roommate etiquette and it's a problem if you all didn't have this conversation in the first place but if you didn't maybe you can get out of that with okay well we never talked about it i didn't know now that i do i'm so sorry the other thing you do is you clean that couch yeah 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 you get that shit like steam cleaned yeah that's that's just being courteous yeah yeah <laughs> but no i mean it's and andy's right you know Michael didn't consent to that, and that's not okay. That is that is patently unsafe. Yeah. And again, I, I don't know if Michael has any trauma. And even if Michael has no trauma, that is still a really, really terrible position to put him in. And, you know, again, y'all... This should, this should be another conversation. You should talk about other communal spaces. You should talk about... And, and you know what... I'm going to legitimately give you some extra shit here, Allie, because you clearly have some, like, stuff you are working through as far as being okay with the fact that you enjoy this with Dave. And that's fair. You're allowed to figure out how you feel about the fact that you like eating your boyfriend's ass. You didn't have to share that in order to have a conversation with your roommate about intimate acts, acts, in communal spaces. You could have just, you could have called it sexy times. Yeah. You could have called it just doing stuff. You could have called it, you could have kept it as vague as you needed to and just created this understanding of this umbrella. And you didn't. And I hope you learn from this. I hope that you take this situation and like just understand. There's a point in consent where if something is unknown, if something is ambiguous, you don't fucking do it. Yeah. Just just because, and, and it is entirely possible you go to that person afterwards and you say, hey, we were thinking about this, but we hadn't talked about it, so I didn't know. And again, it's entirely possible that that person goes, oh, yeah, I wouldn't have cared about that. I would have, you know, I was just going to go, I was just going to go grab a soda. Like, you're fine. It's, have fun. Yeah. Like, it's entirely possible they say that, but you don't do the thing without talking to them first. That is just, that's not even just a roommate thing. That is just a people thing. Yeah, it's a courtesy thing. Yeah. And that, well, and it's not just courtesy, it's safety. It's basic human decency. It's a courtesy thing to clean up after yourself in the kitchen. It is a courtesy thing to, if you have cleared sex stuff on the couch, to clean up the jizz afterward. That is courtesy. All right, fair, fair enough, fair enough. But someone walking into a sexual situation that they did not consent to that's just human decency yeah okay I'll, I'll agree with that absolutely yeah so yeah i mean we will uh hope that Allie and dave hear this um this one came to us from our friends at relationships.txt and so there's always a little bit of a question on whether or not that goes on but the one thing i i appreciate is uh you know dear listener if you're still with us i hope that this is a lesson that you can benefit from before you wind up in a situation that you needed this advice in the first place, you know? Yeah. 
Um, I like to think that we give uh, well-meaning and perfectly unqualified advice to the masses, even beyond the hyper-specifics of the questions. However, if you have a hyper-specific question and you would like our perfectly unqualified advice for, we are very happy to take those in from listeners as well as from the internet or from a friend of a friend. If you are trying to come up with advice and, and you don't know what to say and you want our help, we'll, we'll, we'll take it all. You can send those questions in to lovehaterelationshippodcast at gmail.com, and we promise we'll read them. That's right. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even TuneIn Radio. Hey, Mom. Um, it's a little late now, but you should probably skip the question. Um, <laughs> you can also uh, rate and or review us on any and or all of those platforms. It does apparently help people find the episodes. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at LHRPod, that's L-H-R-P-O-D, uh, where you can just keep up with, you know, shit that we're tweeting about. Uh, Andy will let you know the results of his vodka versus rum analysis. Oh, you bet I will. Um, and you can send us your questions there as well. You can also find my other podcast, Cult Fiction, where I uh, watch cult movies with the incomparable Stephanie Johnson. We have a really great time. You can find Cult Fiction everywhere you can find LHR. That's right. Um, where can they find you on Twitter, Andy? You can find me on Twitter at JovoCop2113. Oh. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and Andy, Andy, I got to change my chess.com handle. So now it's also on chess.com and LiChess. Is that because you paid for the premium? No, shut the fuck up. A underscore X underscore R U I Z. Thank you all so much for listening. As ever, and into 2022, please tell your enemies. (laughs) 